0: As we go to prayer this morning, we want to uh, keep in mind uh, Pastor Doug and Nancy and Allison as they've been been traveling. We just restful time uh, as they're away, uh, but also to have a safe time as they travel uh, back and forth. Uh, we also want to keep in mind the uh, students who are going to be graduating, whether it be uh, those who are graduating high school or. Those who are graduating college, or you know the uh, the type of uh, situation uh, that they're in, um, especially from public schools, um, where they have uh, the bombardment of all kinds of uh, things that are outside of what we believe here at Grace. Uh, so we want to keep them in prayer um, as coming up to the graduation banquet. Um, and also all of our students as uh, they struggle with uh, what's going on. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, um, you know, contemplating what you have for us this day, Father, we just thank you for the opportunity that we have to come and worship you in the name of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, and we freely come. Oh, Lord God, we, we thank you for what you have for us this morning. We pray that our ears would be open to hear what you have to say to us through your word, through the truth that is in your word, Father, uh, that you would use it uh, to honor and glorify yourself that it would not come back void. Father, we thank you for uh, Pastor Doug, our shepherd that uh, guides the flock. We thank you for the time that he has the way to be with family, and, Father, that the time that he had would be rejuvenating to him and, and, and Nancy and Allison. Father, we just pray for, uh, you know, protection for them as they travel about, as they come back home, O oh God, send a band of holy angels to protect them as they move about. Father, we think of the students who are coming to graduate, and we just pray, O oh God, that you would lay upon them peace and wisdom as they go to explore the next uh, step in their lives. Father, that you would be in the forefront of their thoughts, that you would have that, give them peace that is beyond all understanding as they choose uh, what they're going to do, how they're going to move, what, they're gonna, you know, what their lives are going to entail. Father, I pray for the parents of those children as well, that they would be uh, able to guide and direct, uh, give them wisdom, Father, uh, as they look to you for their strength, um, to be able to let go. Father, we just thank you for you know, the opportunity we have to hear from you today. Uh, Father, may the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight. And we'll thank you for what you're going to do today, how you're going to do it, O oh God. You know, we give you thanks ahead of time. In Jesus' name, Amen. There was, a, um, there was a young pastor whose five-year-old daughter uh, was with him when he starts working on his sermons. And every week he, she saw that her dad would uh, stop and bow his head to pray uh, before he started in. And one day she said to him, Dad, why do you do that? And she said, well, he said, well, um, I do that to ask God to help me preach a good sermon. And then she said, well, why doesn't he do it? (laughs) So hopefully that won't be the case today. There are times in our lives when we have to stand back and take inventory of where we're at. Uh, Even at being Christians and folks who are followers of Jesus Christ those of us who are in the fold, who are saved through faith I'm believing on the name of Jesus. We have to look at where we're at. Um, the title of my message today is, Are We All In? Um, and that is uh, a, a, a title of not being condemning, but one of being of self-examination. Are we all in for Jesus? Are we just waiting for the time we hear so often about the rapture when he's going to come to take the church out? Are we just sitting back and waiting for him to come? And I understand, as Pastor Jeremiah always says, you've got to be careful that you don't get too heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good. But yet, in, in the, the time that we're here, the purpose of us being here is to serve our God but it's also to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to other folks, so that when the time of the rapture does come, we can take as many with us as we can. We're bombarded constantly by advertisements to draw us away from being all in with Jesus. We're bombarded constantly as the bigger, better, faster, new, and improved this and that. Um, How can we not be enticed to check some of it out? And yet, I looked and searched diligently and found some advertisements for God. So I digress. God is like bear aspirin. He works miracles. God is like Ford. He's got a better idea. God is like Coke. He's the real thing. God is like Hallmark card, he cares enough to send the very best. God is like Tide, he gets stains out that others leave behind. God is like General Electric, he brings good things to life. God is like Sears, he has everything. God is like Alka-Seltzer, try him, you'll like him. God is like Scotch tape, you can't see him, but you know he's there. God is like Delta, he's ready when you are. God is like Allstate, you're in good hands with him. God is like VO5 hairspray, I don't need that. He holds through all kinds of weather. God is like Dow soap, aren't you glad you have him? Don't you wish everybody did? It's easy to talk about being all in when we're gathered together here together as family because it's easy to be all in. You know, we're all excited about what's going on here. There's so many activities happen here at Grace. Uh, we get excited about VBS. We get excited about the Iwana program. You know, We're all excited about the walk through Bethlehem where we join together and fellowship together, the, the church picnic. Everything that happens here, we're, we're all in for that. I heard a story, an illustration, if you will, of a person that, uh, an example of someone who wasn't all in. It It was a picture of uh, someone sitting on a dock along a lake, and they were sitting there just dangling their feet in the water. And the picture was, are you all in, or are you just dangling your feet? Are you going to jump in all the way? Are you going to wade in? Or are you going to just sit and dangle your feet Jesus spoke of this in in the the three gospels of Matthew Mark and Luke but today we're going to look in the gospel of St Mark in chapter 16 if you would turn there in your scripture we're going to be doing a little bible hopping today forgive me for that Matthew chapter 16 Verses 24 through 27. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. To deny oneself is an attitude of not being our own person, but that of someone else. When we deny ourselves, we give up our own personal rights. Taking up our cross, as Jesus said, to take up your cross and follow me has nothing to do with being executed like he was, but it has the implication of raising your cross high, denying yourself, raising your cross high so that all may see. So if we're all in, we deny ourselves and we glorify Jesus. We talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ, why he went to the cross, what the cross is an example of, what it stands for. If we are all in, we don't worry about self, because it's all about him. Our lives should reflect who Jesus is, because in our lives we may be the only Jesus or the only scripture that someone sees or hears. So what do we profit if we gain stuff that stays here when we leave? I've never seen, and some of you have heard me say this so many times, I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer. You can't take it with you. So what's the purpose of, of, of sacrificing yourself to stuff where moth and rust destroy? So then, the question of are we all in moves to motive. Think about this for a second. If Jesus came to your house, what would you do? If Jesus came to visit you for a while, what would you do? I found a poem of just that, if Jesus came to your house. If Jesus came to your house to spend some time with you, if he came unexpected, I wonder what you'd do. Oh, I know you give him the nicest room to such an honored guest, and all the food you give him would be the very best, and you would keep assuring him you're glad to have him there, that serving him in your home is just joy beyond compare. But then... When you saw him coming, would you meet him at the door with arms outstretched and welcomed to to welcome your heavenly visitor? Supposed to be visitor, but... Or would you have to change your clothes before you let him in? Or hide some magazines and put the Bible where they'd been? Would you hide your worldly music and put some hymn books out? Could you let Jesus walk right in, or would you have to rush all about? And I wonder, if the Savior spent a day or two with you, would you go right on doing the things that you always do? Would you go right on saying the things you would always say, or would life for you continue as it does from day to day? Would you take Jesus with you everywhere you go? Or would you maybe change your plans for just a day or so? Would you be glad to have him meet your closest friends or would you hope they'd stay away until his visit ends? Would you be glad to have him stay forever and on and on? Or would you sigh with great relief when at last he was gone? It might be interesting to know the things that you would do. If Jesus came in person to spend some time with you, would you change who you are? Would you change what you do on a day-to-day basis? Act differently, talk differently, listen to other music, watch different TV shows? And yet, where we're at in our life, he is walking with us daily. For Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. How about at work? Are we all in for Jesus at work? If you work outside the home, if you're not a homemaker, that you work outside the home, if your peers at work were a jury, would they convict you of being a, and you were on trial, would they convict you of being a Christian? Do they know you're a Christian? Do you hold your cross up high at work so they can see it? And I get it. I work outside the home too. I've been convicted so of this message for so long. And then I watched my wife demonstrate it to me in, she is not very good at getting up in front of people and talking, yet she took on the task of teaching women's Bible study. And she proved to me through faith in him, she was all in. She worked and, 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 and diligently worked out her, her lesson plans, not that she had a book to go by, she did it all on her own. And, and yet, you know, when we work outside the home, there's always that one person at work, right? That, that just pushes our buttons and knows how to get under our skin. I, I, I deal with that too. And yet, am I all in for Jesus when that happens? Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Now, in Paul's writing to the Colossians, he was speaking of slavery between between, uh, masters and slaves in this particular passage. And we know that here in the United States no more, uh, the practice of slavery is not um, implemented. And yet sometimes we feel when we go to work, that's what it feels like. We're a slave to our work, right? It seems like this out of day thing that Paul's talking about doesn't apply to us because the institution of slavery was abolished a long time ago. We're not in slavery. Yet the admonition to work hard um, as to men, as to God, Sorry, I got it wrong again. As to God, not to people, has some merit. Now, if we're all in, all in for Jesus, are we all in with our family? Point number two. Are we all in with Jesus with our family? Do we talk to talk about God at home? When, when we come together. When we're in the car, going places uh, throughout the day at dinner time. Is this subject only for Sunday mornings? Turn with me, if you would, to um, Deuteronomy, in chapter 6. Moses was giving the commandments to the Israelite people in the Great commandment. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You should write them on the doorposts of your your house and on your gates. The Israelites were supposed to learn to remember when they rose up, when they sat down, when they when they got up, when they moved about on the doorposts of their house, on the gates, to have it on their wrists, to have plaques or phylacteries on their forehead, having the word of God there to remember, to teach them to their children. We have... We live in the most unique time uh, where we can carry the word of God with us no matter where we go. Old farts like me have a hard time dealing with the technology of a cell phone and getting the knack of it, but I'm getting there. I've learned to text this past year. But I go to Bible studies and I see people that they don't carry their Bible, but they have their Bible on their phone. They have a, is it a, an, called an app where you can have your Bible on your phone? There's no excuse for not having your Bible with you wherever you go. And the, the, the young folks, they're into that technology a lot, and they, you know, they're, they're, they're good at it. If you ever sit and watch one of them, some of them young people text, their thumbs move faster than I can even keep up with. So there's no reason why we can't back and forth during the whole course of the day text our families if they have cell phones and, and, and just bl- blurp out little bits of scripture daily to remember our great God. They had to do it physically, writing on paper. I heard the story of a... Of a of a uh, gentleman who was a songwriter, and he, he was still the old type of songwriter where he wrote down everything with pencil and paper. And one of the new, young, upcoming stars was with him, and they were writing songs together, and he was doing everything on a computer, and he looked over at this, this older gentleman, and he said, oh, pencil and paper. And the older gentleman looked at him, and he said, yeah, but this never crashed. As for me, writing things down is important because then I can remember it. If I talk about it, I don't always remember, but if I write it down, for some reason or another, God gave me the ability to remember. Do we talk to each other about such things as as God? Do we talk to each other about what the Bible says about this event or that event? I understand the demands of family and time. We have work. We have, we have soccer. We have football. We have piano lessons. We have, you know, uh, tumbling, something I never heard of before. But we have, foot, we have hobbies. We have hunting and fishing that distract us of our time with our family. We, we don't always have time to come together to sit down at a meal, to have a sit-down family dinner. But in the scope of that time, do we ever talk to our family? Do we ever sit down and and, and think about what's going on? And then we have things here at the church. We have Bible study. We have a walk through Bethlehem. You know, we have a WANA program. We have um, the time that we have with our family is short. We only have a short uh, um, amount of time to impress upon them the word of god and and of course we know that our teenagers already know it all right yeah, i i wish i was younger and i could just assume like i do now that my dad knew most of what he was talking about thanks pop <laughs> We're going to be talking about Jesus growing together as a family, growing together as a unit. Reading, memorizing scripture, quoting scripture. Is it easy? No. No one ever said it was going to be. Jesus said, if you are all in for me, you're going to have a rough road to travel. It's not going to be easy. If if they're going to persecute me, guess what? They're going to do it to you. It's not easy demonstrating to each other sacrifice when the other person doesn't deserve it. And yet that's exactly what Jesus did for us. Romans 5.8 says, while we were yet sinners, he died for us. He sacrificed for us. Then there is The question of time. Are we all in for Jesus with our time? Time is so short, isn't it? I'm pushing 56 years old. And last year I became 55. And I came to the realization that I lived more life than I have ahead of me. And I wasn't depressed by it. I was kind of happy about it. But still, it was the idea that time, how, what happened to them in 55 years that they were gone like that? The Bible specifically speaks of two kinds of time. The time frame in which God exists in, which he is not constrained by. He was and is and shall be forevermore. And it talks of another kind of time, a time-space framework in which we live. We're all constrained by eight hours in a day, we have to go to work. We're all constrained by, give me five more minutes and I'll be ready to go. Ten minutes, supper is going to be ready. Five minutes here, ten minutes there. We're constrained by time. This me to the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 3. Solomon dictates time as being something of, <clears throat> there is a season for everything under the sun. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and I know this is more of a funeral verse than it is a sermon verse, but it fits to the, the time frame verses 1 through 11. To everything, there is a season for every time a purpose under heaven. Time to be born and time to die. Time to plant, time to pluck what is planted. Time to kill, time to heal. Time to break down, time to build up. Time to weep and time to laugh. Time to mourn. Time to dance. Time to cast away stones. Time to gather stones. Time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Time to gain and time to lose. A time to keep a time to throw away. A time to tear. Time to sow, Time to keep silence and a time to speak. Time to love and time to hate. Time of war. Time of excuse me. Time of peace. So what profit the worker from which he labors? For I have seen the God-given task to which the sons of men are to be occupied. He has made everything beautiful in his time. He has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. For man does not know his time, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 9.12. We don't know what time we have. Solomon says he has made everything beautiful in its time and he has put eternity in our hearts, something that we yearn for. Psalm 139, if you would turn there with me. Psalm 139, verses 13 and 16, 13 through 16. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret, in secret, and skilfully wrought in lowest parts of the earth, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written the days fashioned for me, as yet when none of them were none, as yet there were none of them. Our days, folks, are numbered. We don't know the number of those days. Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. Book of Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law he meditates on day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of the water that brings forth its fruit in season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. That ever so fast, fleeting thing we call time. How do we spend it? Solomon says, time is like a vapor. Our, our life is like a vapor, but a breath. We just came through a, a extended period of winter. And when we walked outside, it reminds me of, I have the implication of reminding me that when I saw my breath and you breathe and you see your breath, it's there, you see it, and then it's gone. Some years ago, I had found this little poem entitled, the dash. I read of a man who stood to speak at the funeral of a friend and he referred to the date on her tombstone at the beginning and the end. He noted that first came the date of birth and spoke of the second with tears. But he said that what matters most of all was the dash between those years. The Dash represented all the time she spent living on earth and only those who loved her knew what that little dash was worth. For it matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we live and love and how we spend out our dash. So think about this long and hard. Are there things you'd like to change? For never, you never know how much time is left. You could be at dash mid-range. Be less quick to anger, show gratitude more, love the people in our lives like we never loved before. If we treat each other with respect and more often wear a smile, remembering that this special dash only lasts for a little while. So when our eulogy is being read with your life's actions to rehash, will you be pleased with the things that are said about how we spent you spend your dash? There are two dates that most people remembered for. You know what they are? When you were born and when you die. Most often there's nothing else remembered about the life in that person. The dash doesn't mean that much unless you're a part of their life. So how we spend that dash is important. How about our resources, number four? Are we all in with our resources for Jesus? Does he have, does he have access to all we have? Is he able to access that which he has given to us? Remember the encounter that Jesus had with the rich young ruler? Turn with me in Matthew chapter 19. And we'll review it together. The the, the young man came to Jesus and said, I want to be in. How do I get in? I want to be all in. Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 22. Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good, but that, no one but God is good. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, well, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and, you shall, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all these things I have kept, from my youth, what do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. And the young man heard this saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Uh, the, The whole just of this passage is simply he showed the man he did not keep all the commandments. He loved himself more than he loved his neighbors, the poor that Jesus talked about. For when Jesus said to give it to the poor, he was sad because he had great possessions. He loved his possessions more than he loved God And he said, come follow me. And he walked away this passage teaches the seriousness of true discipleship you got to be all in because Jesus knew his heart he just wanted to come and dangle his feet in the water a little bit he didn't want to be all in What he had, what he clung on to was more important than being all in. This passage doesn't teach that we have to sell and give everything up to be a Christian, or a follower of Jesus Christ. But something that comes between you and God, if you put something higher than him, if you hold on to something high, more than you do to him, and it becomes an idol... Then it's a problem, and that's exactly what this young man was doing. His possessions and his wealth were more important than being all in. Jesus said, "You can't have both ways. You can't serve two masters. If there's something in your life that comes before Jesus and and God, you have to you have to." Examine what you're doing, because that has become an idol. Jesus, if you put something ahead of us, if you put something ahead of the Father, it's an idol. He said you should worship. There are two commandments that He gave that we are to follow: love the Lord your God with all your heart, heart, soul, and mind. And if your 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 uh, faith is put in something other than God, it's an idol. I've heard this illustration so many times and I love it because it it depicts who I am. Because I, I struggle with this very issue. All around us we have stuff to get a hold of. Yesterday we were yard sailing. We weren't buying, we were on the selling end. We were cleaning house. And it was so neat to watch the people come and sort through the treasures that were there. And what they were searching for, and and shared with us, they were using it for, to do God's work. You know how we have a, a sale um, for Hope's Haven where people donate things and they, they make things out of it? There were folks who were coming and buying things for what they could make to sell, to, for, for things like that. It was amazing. If God, we come to God with open hands, Yes, he can take things out of our hands, but he can also put things back in. If we come to God with clenched fists, holding on to what we have, and we hold on so tightly to it, he can't take it away, but he also can't put anything back in. He can't bless us. I am convinced through Scripture, God wants us to enjoy the time that we have here, what we do, what we have, what he has blessed us with. Turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, one of my favorite verses. And I refer to this often because I deal with, with certain things of not so much of greed, but with, with things of having stuff. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 18 through 20. Here's what I have seen Solomon said. The book of Song of Solomon was written in Solomon's young years. And in midlife he wrote the book of Proverbs as he was in the height of his kingship. And towards the end of his life he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes and he said, this is what I've come across. In 1 Kings chapter 10 and chapter 11, you will see the wealth that Solomon amassed in his lifetime. Silver was seen in his kingdom as being worthless because he had so much gold. So this was a man who knew what wealth and prestige and power and possessions were all about. In chapter Uh, 5 of Ecclesiastes he says in verse 18 here's what I have seen this is what I have experienced it is good and fitting for one to eat and drink and enjoy all the good of his labor in which he toils under the sun all the days of his life which God gives him it goes to that time thing again for this is his heritage this is why we were here this is what we were made for to work to honor and glorify God As for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, and here it is, and given him the power to eat of it, to receive his heritage, rejoice in his labor, this is a gift from God. So if God gives us the the gift of being able to have things, to enjoy things, as long as we don't put it before him, there is absolutely nothing wrong with it. It's our attitude towards, again, it goes to attitude. Are we all in with what God has gifted us? Is it his to use for however he would use it? Are we holding on to it? The gift is God giving us the ability to enjoy the lot we've been given, not dwell unduly on the days we have here for we'll be busy with the joy in our hearts in verse 20. Because the man who God gives the gift to, in verse 20, he will not dwell unduly on the days of his life. He won't worry about things that are going to come, what he has, what he doesn't have. Because God keeps him busy with the joy in his heart because the joy in his heart is that of knowing who Jesus Christ is in our time frame in the New Testament. The joy that we have within is that because we were bought at a very, very high price. If one of us, one of us needed Jesus to die for them, to redeem us of our sins, he would have done it. Are we looking at th- 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 what we have? Are we all in with what we have as a gift from God? I look at, Karen and I have a farm. And I look at it being, and someone had told me this a long time ago. I look at it as being a caretaker for just a little while. It's all his. I struggle with that because of the work I do. I heard a story one time of, of someone who was in, in the garden and kept this beautiful flower garden. And a priest walked by every day and he said to the, this man, surely you and the Lord are blessed together and in, in workers are keeping this garden. And one day the man looked up at him and said, yeah, well, he should have seen it before I came along, when the Lord had it by himself. <laughs> There are times when we have to examine ourselves, the focus of where we are. Do we see things as being a gift from God or do we see it as being a burden? So often we hear that the will of God, what is the will of God for me? I I need to know the will of God for me because if I don't know the will, I can't do what he wants me to do. God doesn't want us for us to be all in, that we have to sell everything we have and and go into the mission field. If that is your gift, if that's what God gifted you to be, yes, you have to do that. We don't all have to go to seminary to become pastors, but if that is your gift, that's what you need to do. God wants to use us where we are, where he has you, because the gifts he has given you, you are using where you're at. You can be used by him wherever you are. You don't have to be a missionary to be all in for God. You don't have to be a pastor to be all in for God. You don't have to be a teacher, a a Sunday school teacher to be all in for God. But if that's your gift, then yes, you do. What he requires of you, what he requires of me, is to be unselfish. It isn't about me. It's all about him. Being able to give up self for him. Solomon concluded in Ecclesiastes 12, 13, Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. Micah 6.8. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and this is the verse I always send everybody to when they talk about, what is the will of God for me? Rejoice always. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In every circumstance, in everything you do, wherever you're at, give thanks. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It doesn't matter where we are, what station of life we're at. We can be all in for Jesus Christ. We can jump in with both feet and be assured that he is going to be there with us to guide us and direct us along where he wants us to go the Holy Spirit lives and dwells inside of us the Holy Spirit lives and dwells inside of us he's going to take us to where he wants us to be if we allow him to do it if we say yes Are we all in? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what what an amazing time we live in to be able to see, to, to, to be able to feel your presence with us, to be able to know, oh God, that you guide and direct what you have given us as a gift. All that we have, all that we are, all that we struggle with, oh God. We see so many things around us. Our society says, you know, you have to be this, you have to be that. It's all about me. But, Father, in your government, it says it's all about you. It's all about who you are. We honor and glorify you. We thank you, O God, for the opportunity we have to do that, to give of ourselves for the one who gave of himself for us. He gave it all we thank you for what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.